Hello and welcome to the Denverse. I am Derek and today we have Jeff Morton of the Colorado Sports Guys podcast and many other media outlets over the years. Uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. What's up, man? I, I, uh, let's see, Denver Stiffs, Mile High Sports. Uh, what, else have I, what else have I done? I've done more than that. Um, but I, Denver Stiffs, I, I was there, how long was I at Denver Stiffs? I think this, this is a sign of my age, is that I don't remember how long I was at Denver Stiffs. I think it was like seven years. Yeah, that sounds about then, right. Because about three years ago I left. So yeah, yeah. in fact, next month it'll be three years. So yeah, it is, it, man. And I think a lot of people know the story, but could you just sort of talk about how did you even get into covering the Denver Nuggets? Well, uh, it's an interesting thing. I I was a commenter, frequent commenter on FireGeorgeCarl.com <laughs> and Pickaxe and Roll. Mm-hmm. Those were the only two Nuggets blogs. Um, and I, on, on Fire George Carl, I was known for uh, antagonizing uh, Andy Feinstein mm-hmm. deliberately. <laughs> and... Uh, on pickaxe and roll, it was more a cerebral site. That's a, there was a fellow named Jeremy Wagner mm-hmm. who ran uh, pickaxe and roll, and um, suddenly Jeremy left pickaxe and roll, and he left the site to Nate Timmons. Okay, nice. In two thousand, the, the Western Conference Finals year. Mm-hmm. So Nate was nine. Yeah, and Nate was covering the by himself pickaxe and roll, which was a much bigger site than firegeorgecarl.com Andy was doing that on wordpress mm-hmm. uh and it was just a homemade it was a homemade blog if you ever if someone has a cached version <laughs> of uh what it looked like yeah. firegeorgecarl.com and you would be stunned even early denver stiffs you and pickaxe and roll you would be stunned at how amateurish it looked uh the blog technology has come a long way since then uh but anyway yeah uh, uh, nate took over and then one day, I'll never forget it. One day, suddenly, FireGeorgeCarlton.com went down. Like, there was no, um, you couldn't access the site, mm-hmm. and you couldn't access Pickaxe and Roll. And it was for a period of about a week and a half. Huh. And then suddenly, it was back up, but it was under SB Nation. And then Andy had this big announcement, uh, uh, Denver Stiss is now uh, you know, a combination of Pickaxe and Roll, and uh, you know, he and Nate had joined forces. Mm-hmm. Well, I continued my antagonism of Andy. Uh, not so much Nate, because Nate is just so hard to antagonize. Yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, basically continued that there, and then I started writing a weekly column there called Weekly Optimism. <laughs> and if anyone who knows me knows that that's not exactly something that fits me. Yeah. I am an extremely cynical person. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so I ended up doing that. I don't know why I do it. I think I was just to, to, to be a bastard to, to Andy. Were you being and optimistic? I think so, but yeah. it was probably my version of optimism. <laughs> so it was like, uh, pessimism, optimism, old yeah. man optimism, basically. Uh, and that I was about third. I, I, and then I was doing that. And then officially, officially I can't, I was brought on, uh, in September, uh, August of, uh, 2010. And, um, it was just Nate, Andy, and I for about a period of three, four years, I think. Mm-hmm. 
where it was just the three of us splitting uh, previews and recaps and writing columns. So if you can imagine that um, there's 82 games and the three of us would split 82 games to cover. Yeah. Um, and then we would also be writing uh, columns. So that's two, two times whatever, how many games. So you just roughly get that into 25, 30 games between us. Yeah. And then you're also writing a column uh, once or twice a week. So we were writing a bunch I wrote more in four years than I think most people ever can really think about doing. Is it's like you're doing everything at the time, and we were a fan thing. So yeah. Anyway, that's a long-winded answer to say that's kind of how I got my start. So it was like I. It was basically due to I was a commenter. J page seventy-eight mm-hmm. was my my handle, and uh, I um, did, did basically was so antagonistic to Andy. Not genuinely, by the way. I just did that because I liked trolling people. Liked trolling people at that mm-hmm. time, and uh, he brought me on, and uh, he and Nate brought me on. That's how really I started. So ten years ago. So basically, you were the Joe in the Irvin Joe model of uh, of how yes. you create a show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was exactly that. <laughs> Uh, I was talking to Terry Fry about that too. Uh, Terry was you know, mentioning me that uh, that's basically how <laughs> Joe, because he was a caller, I believe. Yeah, and had uh, that's how that's basically what it is. And like like not being a caller, being you know, just uh, just someone who was writing posts on on blogs, who and just taking the piss out of, uh, as the British would say, out of uh, Andy for. Uh, <laughs> his ridiculous takes on Carmelo Anthony. It seems uh, hard to believe in the era that we are, that basically trolling could get you a job. Like uh, from the (laughs) trolls we see now, it's hard to see that being the way into a company. Well, uh, Andy will say, if you talk to Andy, he would say that I would write long um, articulate posts, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, anyone who's read any of my columns know that long and articulate is probably a very good description of what I would do. <laughs> and uh, so I would, I displayed a flair for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of, you know, translated to writing. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's just, it, it's stunning to me, Derek, that in the time from when I started at Denver Stiffs to now, the amount of change of the media landscape and all everything that comes with it is absolutely stunning to me. When I started, when we, when Denver Stiffs was taking off and that was about during the melodrama, mm-hmm. which was 2010, um, how we were regarded then to where Denver Stiffs became by the time I left mm-hmm. night and day, absolutely night and day. We were, not considered to be anything related to, to uh, media. Yeah. Well, uh, they wanted, didn't want anything to do with us. Well, and I think that that, it really tells you just how much the media landscape has changed because like when you guys started, it was just when the Rocky Mountain News had closed. Yep. You know, every... All and my of, dad worked for the news. Oh, nice. I mean... That's, how I, so that's how I got the, my media flair. And boy, let me tell you something. Something died inside with him when I told him that I was working on a blog. <laughs> <laughs> he was not happy with me. <laughs> but that like that era just it doesn't even seem possible, especially in the era we're in now where it's like 
monetization isn't a thing that really is happening in any way right now, like for anybody. And with coronavirus, I don't know what the media landscape is going to look like. Uh, but it's, yeah. I mean, just the way you're talking about it, like the fact that like Denver Stiffs wasn't, wasn't respected and like would never have gotten into the media room. And then you guys did within a couple of years, which is how I met you originally. Mm -hmm. um, is just quite a quite a leap, and now it just seems like second nature almost that like there are probably more bloggers from the old term covering the Nuggets than there are traditional media people. Well, and and the funny thing is that and I said this on a, a podcast uh, a couple of years ago that when and Nate Andy and I were doing it, we were all older than most bloggers. Mm -hmm. um, Andy is a couple years older than me. Um, and Nate's about four years younger than me. Um, but we were all significantly older than most bloggers. Uh, most bloggers at that time, we were talking about 2008 to 2010, 11, right around there, are, were all in their early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and I was 32. And it was different because we all had a journalistic approach to it. Um, we weren't yearning to be accepted because yeah. I don't think we ever deep down considered ourselves to be media members. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, it's totally true. We did not really ever consider it. I, I know Andy would tell you um, that he didn't consider it. Nate was a little more serious serious about it than uh, Andy and I in a sense that he had gone to school for it. Mm -hmm. um, but we were all older people who started were doing this blog that turned into be something a lot bigger than we ever anticipated it being. And I think some of that has to do with coincidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I remember when I met you, uh, what was that 2013? Yeah. Remember there? It's when you were still doing the audio stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I started. That was my KOA internship, which is when I think yeah. we met. Yeah. And you were doing that, and there were times, and that this is some dark years there. There were some there were some times where it was you, uh, me, and maybe Dylan Thomas from uh, who's now at uh, Channel Four. Yeah, and that's it. And we were, for people to realize this, we were sitting where the Cronky Suite is now, which is kind of yes. hard to believe. But they would. <laughs> They let like the big people, like the Denver Post people and their own writers and a couple other people sit downstairs. And then the rest of us would be up and up very far away, which to yep. me wasn't that bad because that's where also where we sat for hockey. And the ball mm -hmm. is so much bigger than hockey. So I'm like, this is fine. But like, mm -hmm. you know, media people in the NBA get treated a lot better than media people in the NHL. <laughs> um, but yeah, it would just be us. I remember... Sandy Clough, who we both admire a lot, would come sit yeah. with us every now and then. But it was a it's a ragtag group. It was a small, small group. I mean, Matt Moore wasn't there all the time back no. then. Uh, Jordan White would come occasionally. Uh, Nate would come occasionally. This that's when Nate started phasing out yeah. of uh, covering, and it really was. I mean, I was credentialed back in 2012, but mm -hmm. Nate was the guy that went to the went to the games. And we really, really didn't. I mean, there were times where Brian. Remember when Brian Shaw would come out of the uh, out of the the doorway to yeah. the locker room, and he would slide over like two steps <laughs> to get to where we talked to him. So he would like kind of sidle over. Yeah, he'd make he would make us talk to by the elevators for some reason. <laughs> yeah, <And then laughs> he would he would 
you would have a that piece of paper yeah. that he uh, that he had uh, the stats, mm-hmm. and he would like rustle it and go, well, once again, uh, <laughs> and then and then whatever he was thinking about at the time, yeah, uh, inevitably he would start complaining about Kenneth Farid. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. Just it would eventually drift over to him complaining about Kenneth Farid, <laughs> just for whatever that was. But I remember and so many so many things. I don't know if you've been to Pepsi Center since they did the remodeling. Yeah, that uh, they did. The, the, the hallways are now now not puke green. Yeah, they look like good. a place you'd like for for famous and wealthy people to walk through. Yes, it's so funny how watching how remembering. Uh, oh, uh, Aaron Lopez. Okay, it, Aaron Lopez was was there every day. And I was. I would. I actually I miss Aaron. Yeah. Uh, he was the guy that would start every every press conference with a question. Uh, Aaron Lopez would uh, he and I would talk about how Pepsi Center was even back then was behind the times mm-hmm. as far as like um, uh, just amenities and the locker rooms were still late nineties, very late nineties yeah. looking. Uh, and it took them, I think it was two thousand sixteen. That when they did right. the remodel. Yeah, and I mean, now it looks, it it matches with, and the Rockies redid theirs, but the Nuggets sort of caught up to where the Rockies were, and then the Rockies sort of made theirs a little nicer after that, but it was just like, mm-hmm. it was it was funny just to see, like, the, basically they built the Pepsi Center, and they're like, we're just going to leave this. And then that was about the time, they started with the scoreboard, and then just like every part of the Pepsi Center sort of got that upgrade. Um, and I mean, all to the benefit of, of the players and the yeah, people they're yeah. trying to impress. Oh, the locker rooms at the in the Nuggets area. I, I, I mean, I haven't been in the Avalanche one, but the the, the Nuggets area is really they've really made it nice. Yeah. Um, the, the visitors' locker room is still trash, but <laughs> they well, that um <laughs> the in so the Avs actually have two locker rooms, which was one of the reasons that the Avs are hard to cover. They have a room where they take off all their equipment and then they can leave. And so when you cover the Avs, it's like the opposite of the Nuggets. You have to be down there before the final buzzer, and they just, like, drop a rope, and they're like, go ahead. And you, like, rush in and hope that all the players haven't left. And so in the bad years, you get two players. Like, it would be two players every night for the Avs because no one else would be there. Sort of like when you go into the visitor's locker room after a bad loss for them and everyone's already on the bus. That's, like, every night in the NHL for the home team. But the road team has basically the exact same locker room as the NBA, so it's just crowded. You have a lot more players in the NHL, and it's not that much bigger. But it is it is interesting just how different that is and how I don't think people mm-hmm. realize what that experience is like. And I think, you know, they've made it... It's not like it's a great experience to go cover the team afterwards. Like, they make it uncomfortable intentionally and i do i know there was people complaining about like them trying to restrict media access at the start of the corona thing before they'd taken it away but i've always Mm -hmm. been of the opinion that there may come a day where like people like us just would never get in the locker room again and everything just goes through the team coronavirus the way that i've been thinking about it especially with sports is that it's speeding up all of these things that we sort of knew were an inevitability and yeah. the ba- and basketball is probably safer than anyone on this because they have been doing such a good job. They've been at the forefront. Like the players matter the most. Like that's what matters the most in the NBA. And so they're yeah. going to be immune from this. But some of the stuff with like 
and their TV contracts are better. Like the NHL is in trouble if they can't get fans back because so much of their revenue is tied up into that. But I do wonder, like, like, like baseball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do wonder how much the combination of us losing media outlets and just concerns about health are going to change the media experience once this is all over. Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I, I, no one's asked me that one yet. That's a, that's a, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, when you saw the Rudy Gobert video mm-hmm. and him jokingly touching all the mics, yeah, that was a real moment for me where I'm like, they don't have a ton of respect for media. Yeah. And they don't anyway, and it's kind of built into it now. Um, because I always call Altitude and the Nuggets now have a media arm, which is basically their social media. Yeah. Uh, and they have something, you know, they have people who write now. Uh, and, and, yeah, Aaron Lopez used to, to do that uh, um, on, on the old Nuggets.com back in the day. But uh, I, there is there is a a organizational contempt for media. Now, it's probably – I've heard hockey – is a little worse than, than the NBA is. But I think as far as like the way they've distanced themselves like that anyway, I think it's only a matter of time before they restrict media access to you're not even able to go back in the locker room. Yeah, I think that that may be over. Like they may go to the podium. And I, when you're watching the Rudy Gobert thing, thankfully they put in place that they did the interviews at the podium because what was he going to do to the media members if everyone was around him in a circle in the locker room? Oh, man. Like, and to that that point, it is, like, unhealthy in a way. Like... Yes. But it yes. is... But it would just... Like, the ability to go into the locker room and, like... I mean, we all had our players that we just enjoyed talking to in whatever way yeah. that was. Like, that being able to build that connection may just be so harder, especially for people that don't go to the practice days. Um, well, and even practices, they, they, they rarely practice this year. Yeah. And if they did, they didn't tell us. Yeah. And that part was where I started thinking like, Oh man, things have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they used to let us on the court at shoot around, um, at home shoot around. Yeah. And we would go out to the court, talk to the players. And it was a great place to get quotes. And then practice was probably right under that Mm -hmm. as far as quotes go. Uh, They don't, they don't even, they they didn't do a single shoot around this year. Not a single shoot around this year. And I used to get my best quotes at shoot around. Just just used to get really some, as the kids would say, fire quotes. And I'm, not a single one this year and it was kind of getting ratcheted back last year too mm-hmm. and they rarely practiced so you were really restricted to just game day i know just from like the players and you know i've done rockies and broncos too the avalanche is the most restrictive yeah. uh the rockies is probably the most open but that's sort of debatable and that's changed with the people who are running it Oh, but really? yeah, but the players really respond to seeing you every day. Like they gain a respect if you're showing up like they're showing up yep. and that not having as many places just where you can show your face and just be like, Hey, I saw you do this thing. I feel like Nate Timmons was great at that 
where he would just be like, I saw you do this thing. What you were, what were you thinking? I think he was one of the best people where he could have a conversation without doing the interview. Those moments are gone. Media in general in Denver misses Nate Timmons. Yeah. Uh, there was no one like Nate. Nate was very unique. He was really good at forming bonds with the players. But yeah. quite frankly, other than for me, it was Wilson. Wilson really, Wilson Chandler really liked me. Yeah. And Wilson would open up to me in the locker room. I would got a lot of off the record shit from Wilson. Yeah. Um, I, but outside of that, it was just like Nate was, I, I, I just didn't have the mentality to connect. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and he was really good at, because despite all of my feelings about him, I've always thought Andre Iguodala was one of the most interesting people to interview because you didn't yes. know where he was going to go. And Nate was very good. Like I got some of my best because I was just getting radio stuff. I got some of my best stuff from Iguodala just from a question that Nate was asking. Um, and I definitely miss yeah. that perspective and voice from him and know, you know, no, there was a lot more going into it, but yeah, he was someone. And I think that we, I'd say you're like the generation above me in the media. And then there's my generation, but the people that have survived in my generation are very small. Like it's, it's interesting just how the turnover has gone just from like the few years of people who were from where I was and in, in the well, media landscape. You, you, and then, and you, you disappeared. Yeah. And then was that after that you went to, you did yet say, I don't forget where you went, but you were, were not in Denver anymore. Yeah. And I did a year <laughs> where I was just all over the place. Um, that's right. So, and it was like Seattle, right? Yeah. I, I did Chicago, Seattle, and New York. Um, yeah. And I was basically, for a number of reasons, just not being able to get my footing anywhere, in anywhere, not not enjoying it. Like, just, it sort of, there was a period where I was just like, I hate sports now from covering <laughs> all of these events and all of these teams and knowing. They do not blame you. <laughs> yeah. And knowing more about it. And, like, I had some conversations with some older media members where I was like, I don't want this to be my life when I'm 50. And now. that... So I was like, I'm done. And I was like pretty sure that I was done forever. Uh, but not unhappy that I, I came back and I'm doing some of the stuff. And like, this has been one of the things I wanted to do is interview people. And the podcast has been a good way to have fun conversations about sports because I think sports should be fun. And yeah. we don't, it's not like for the most part, most of sports isn't fun anymore. And so you got to be able to find your ways to make it fun, I think. I think, you know, knowing what I know, and this is something you can comment on too. Um, because we were in doing the media game before a lot of people were. Yeah. Uh, I, Nate and I were credentialed at the same time. He was, he was not, I was not going to as many games as Nate was. Nate was there every single day and doing everything in 2012, 13, the yeah. 57 win season. He was just, he was just there. Um, he, and he really was able to, to, to make him his presence known. I was not, I would do spot things mm -hmm. and people don't understand why I have such a dislike of Andre Iguodala. <laughs> and I said, you just had to have known what the heck was going on yeah. in the playoffs while this was going, while, it, while you know, the stuff was going down, yeah. basically. And uh, <clears throat> people have no, because they weren't covering the team, and I don't know how intimately you were doing it then, but 
I was privy to a t- bunch of information, and it and maybe this is the downside of being a media member. Yeah. It completely poisoned my perception of Andre Iguodala. Yeah, and I mean, there are players, most of them are gone, where it's just like, I know a little too much. And some of it is just like knowing other people that know people, like especially mm-hmm. some of the women we've known in the media and the way that players have treated them. That's always been yeah. a, a thing yeah. that I haven't enjoyed. But I remember, and I can't remember who it was against now, but I was sitting with you and Paul Klee. I think the Nuggets went to overtime and Iguodala hit a shot. And mm-hmm. that was a moment where we were all like, this team may be much better than we thought it was. And then within yeah. three months, George Carl had been fired, Masai Ujiri had left, <laughs> Iguodala had left, and we were set up for the worst era of Nuggets basketball in 15 oh. years or 10 years. Oh, that was so bad. I, I don't – covering that team in 2013 to whenever they fired Shaw yeah. was just – Hellacious. It was, it was so bad. One of my biggest frustrations with Malone with this current Nuggets team is that he continually tries to turn them into the style of offense that he wants and not the style of offense that is best for the team, which we know is basically the Looney Tunes playing basketball and somehow scoring a basket. Like, that's how the Nuggets would look best. But well, that, that's uncomfortable yes. for a head coach. Well, it's because you have to give up a tremendous amount of control. Yeah. You have to let it just happen. And especially defensive coaches are very reluctant to make that happen. Because defenses, defensive coaches tend to, to, to hate one thing above all others, mm-hmm. turnovers. Yeah, They hate turnovers. And I think that applies to... Uh, hockey that applies to football uh, if you are uh, that's why defensive coaches tend to be so conservative on offense because they hate anything that will put their defense in a bad position yeah and uh, um, Michael Malone is very much from the uh, his dad was an assistant with the bad boys Detroit Pistons and he really grew up around the Knicks uh, I think he started uh, under Van Gundy as uh, his really basketball career. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those coaches have the same philosophy. Uh, turnover's bad. Yeah. So if we have a bunch of turnovers, um, it'll completely uh, ruin us and we'll lose by a lot because we're such a slow team. Yeah. They tended to say, like, I will limit as many possessions as possible to, like, like remember the, the way the, the Minnesota Wild played? Yeah. The where trap. they would just... All the, the all the, the yeah the trapping and the yeah. forechecking and all that stuff that they would do, um, and this is someone who, by the way, knows nothing about hockey. <laughs> no, but, but I do you're remember this. you're right. It wasn't. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't fun to watch. That's really no. all you need to know. <laughs> that is a defensive approach to limit, quote unquote, the the hockey version of possessions, mm-hmm. and that is very much that. And Malone is was known as a defensive coach. He was the uh, here's something that a lot of people don't know. He, well, they, they do know this, but they forget it. He was the lead assistant under Mark Jackson yeah. for the, the Golden State Warriors. And uh, if you watch video of the Golden State Warriors from Mark Jackson's era, then you watch it to where Steve Kerr is, that ain't the same team. No. They played slow. They played deliberate basketball. They funneled everything to Andrew Borgett. It was a defensive, slow team. 
fast forward to now, uh, skipping his time with Sacramento Kings, um, that is exactly the way Malone wants to play. Yeah. I think if he had his druthers, he would have a team like that. Yeah. But the way this Nuggets roster is constructed, it is meant to be free. Exactly what you were saying. Free playing, read, react, um, and get uh, get those people out. Not necessarily running, mm-hmm. but running in a good, but but uh, playing <laughs> they, fast too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they can't run because of Jokic. But if they could, they would like to. Jokic wants to run. Yeah, uh, He <laughs> wants to play fast. He will, that's why... That's why you will see him do those baseball passes down the. Uh, yeah. He and and like he will once that it goes kind of the same way the Showtime Lakers with Kareem. Mm-hmm. Kareem would never leave the defensive end of the floor if there was a fast break going on. He would just park his ass there and he would just wait for the them to come back to him. Yeah. He so Jokic isn't lazy like Kareem was by that point in his career, but he would also do those big outlet passes to start the break mm-hmm. uh Jokic wants to do that and he's very good at that um but this team is just they want to be free and I guess not necessarily fast but they want to be free yeah um and I think a lot of times this team feels like they're constrained it's, it's the best way to put it yeah I mean I know that consistency is hard in the NBA but just I think that the inconsistency about how the Nuggets play is the thing that is the most frustrating. And I think that at times Malone is the leader of that. Like, do you think, do you, first of all, do you think there's any way that they could win playing Malone's way? And do you think that there's any way that Malone's going to change enough to allow them to play that freestyle? They can win if they play Malone's way, if they had a slightly different roster. Mm-hmm. If they had a couple more Paul Millsaps. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there is a shooting star on the roster named Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Who would probably be best served in a very fast and free uh, offense. Mm-hmm. And what you, what you have seen with the Nuggets is the way the players are is counterintuitive to the way he wants to play. Yeah. But he has kind of adapted to it. But you can see the struggle and the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. You could just you can just see the frustration because he wants to do a certain thing. He wants to play a certain way. Yeah. He every fiber of his being wants to be I'll never forget. I wrote a column in 2015 when I was still engaged in writing Mm -hmm. and it was about Malone prior to um, just right after they announced that they were going to hire him. And I said, he's going to have to adapt because you cannot play slow it down, uh, not use your altitude basketball in Denver. And one of the first things Malone said at his opening press conference was that I am, don't paint me into a corner. I am not some slow it down coach. Well, the Nuggets' pace, quote-unquote, has steadily declined until at one point this year they were 30th. And I have never seen that from a Nuggets team. Even the the teams that only won 12 (laughs) games were still not that low. (laughs) 
Yeah, I have never seen that. And of course, they bumped it up by the middle of the year, and yeah. now they're about. They were, I think, by the time the by the time Corona happened, they were about twentieth, I think, in pace. Um, but that was, and and Malone kept saying, "Well, yeah, no, I want them to, I want them to be free and you know play with a little more less structure." And then you see him, and Jamal Murray's constantly looking back. At yeah. Malone to see what the play is. Yeah, and it just <laughs> it drives me nuts. I and I mean I think they were the last couple of weeks before the season got postponed. I was just sort of like I don't know I, I don't know what this team is at all, and that was yeah. starting to worry me because I mean we were a month away from the playoffs starting, and it was like I have no I have no idea what this team is, and I don't I don't feel like they do. I, in some ways, I feel like this is. If there was going to be a postponement, this was the good time to, for the postponement because I don't feel like they had themselves figured out this year. Mm. And whatever happens, if they end up doing a playoff or uh, resuming the season in some way, whatever happens doesn't really count because it's at least in like if you're looking at a narrative of a season, like how much can you really base on a season where you took a three month break? Like, I think that you can just sort of throw that out no matter where you are, which in some ways might be good for the Nuggets because they can maybe, like, sneak in and maybe some teams won't be as prepared. But at the same time, like, yeah. it does feel like it just leaves a lot of question marks. Same thing with hockey. I just don't think you know, they – and I'm not – and this is not me, someone who's running a billion, multi-billion dollar sports league. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't see how – they can continue the season. I yeah. just, I just don't see how it's logical. I don't see how it's possible. I just don't see how you can go into it after a three month break and say, okay, we're just going to finish out the year and have it have any sort of level of respectability yeah. or uh, anything like that without a giant asterisk behind it. The, the, the quality of play is going to be crap. Yeah. It's just going to be awful. These guys will be completely out of shape. It's just, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. However, like I said, I am not someone who is running a, like in the NBA, eight to $10 billion a year industry. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can understand like wanting desperately to get that machine up and running. Um, but I don't know, first of all, how you do it safely. And second of all, I just don't know how you can continue the year and make it legit. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree, but I think we saw, we saw the NBA's colors on this with the whole China situation. That yeah. they they care more about the money, and yeah. I think that they they will find a way if they can they because will. the revenue from the playoffs is just such a big part of their total revenue. Oh, it's huge! Major League Baseball too. They have a lot of their a lot of their revenue comes from because like let, let's face it, because of the altitude dispute, Dick Monfort was scared into taking a really bad, <laughs> really yeah. bad deal from AT&T. Yeah. I, I just, that, that is a, a, such a stunning lack of use of leverage that I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. Even he was and like, it it's was, not a very good deal. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's doing that. And I'm like, first of all, like, they, okay, you can talk comment on this more than I can. Um, they've got the baseball experience thing going up next door, which yeah, I, who knows? It's probably going to end up printing money for them, like everything they do. Well, it's in supposed city. it's supposed to cover stadium renovations. So they basically have already allocated all of the money they expect to make there just on Coors Field. Really? Yeah. 
That was like their deal with the city was like, we'll extend the lease. You guys have to finance yourself, but we're going to give you this other piece of land. So hopefully they're going to make more than they need to keep the stadium up to date. But like they, they have that money sort of committed already. That's a, that's, that's, that's amazing. But I tell you what, that stadium, number one yeah. out of, out of everything. I mean, it is an attraction by itself. Yeah. When they made that thing, they made it right. Uh, as opposed as opposed to Pepsi Center and 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 uh, really mild. Gonna high. call it an, yeah. I was gonna call it an I was gonna call it Invesco. That tells you <laughs> that tells you where my my brain is. Um, and that uh, apparently they're supposed to be building a entertainment thing next to yeah the, the football stadium. This is one of the interesting things about this is you have the entertainment district that was supposed to go in by the Bronco Stadium, and then whatever Kroenke is gonna do with Elitches. Both of those plans may be over. Like, they may not, especially because I don't know how much you've been following Kroenke's stadium disaster in Los Angeles, but the oh, bill tripled so on how much money he thought he was going to have. And from what I've heard, his wealth is not that much higher than what he's now committed to that stadium. Like, he's in actual trouble in some ways, especially now with the coronavirus. Like, I just... Well, he self-financed it, which was probably a bad decision. Yeah. I know what Stan is thinking. He likes owning things. Okay? Yeah. He does. He doesn't like. He doesn't like. He doesn't like having partners. Yeah. Uh, there was a rumor years ago that Dick Monfort offered uh, Stan Kroenke a part of the Rockies, and uh, Stan said, "No, I don't want partners." Basically, is what he said. He is. Yeah. He wants to be the. And even though he's not the sole owner of the Nuggets and Avalanche, mm-hmm. I don't know if people know this. Liberty Media still owns. A small stake in the Rocky, excuse me, in the Avalanche, in the Nuggets, and Pepsi Center, mm-hmm. which I did not, I was not aware of until I started doing some articles mm-hmm. on it. Um, but uh, he, I do know that there is a he owns Pepsi Center outright, but he doesn't own the land on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I do, there has been very solid information that he used the equity in Pepsi Center to help fund the stadium in LA. Yeah. Which probably was not a good move in hindsight, but considering I think property values are about to start plummeting here yeah. in Colorado. Um, but he basically is like in a lot of lending debt with this. It's not a good move. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, where should people mm-hmm. uh, find you online? Well, uh, CSG Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Pocket Casts. Um, I post the link every day on my Twitter, which is at jmorton78, uh, which was my original handle when I started it back in 2009. Um, and uh, I was King of Thornton for a long time, so I, I, people are like, where'd you go? Is this now? And, and, I'm not the king anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I am. So you can find me at jmorton78 or go to CSG Podcast on uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your, your you get your podcast. Um, I have one last question. When are we getting the history of the Denver Nuggets book that I think you need to write? Well, I'm just waiting for that million dollar advance that... Uh, that I'm told that writers get. <laughs> so uh, well, as soon as that happens, 
I will be hammering away. I will bring in Sandy Clough to help me out. And uh, we, he and I will get going on this. And uh, hopefully it'll come out in the next, I don't know, 20, 25 years. Well, I, I think we're all, all anticipating it. I feel like you have, you along with Sandy, probably have a deeper knowledge of this than almost anyone still in the media right now um yeah but thank you so much for your time uh this has been yeah, the, no problem. the denverse i'm derek uh we'll talk to you soon